Hello, and welcome to another exciting edition of How Compilers Work. My name is Sigflub, and now you know how parsing is done, as described in the previous chapter. This is the third chapter. Uh, in the second chapter, we talked about parsing, and uh, you know how it creates a syntax tree. I alluded to lexical analysis by describing the input stream of a parser as tokens. Again, token generation is what lexical analysis does. It generates tokens based on its input stream. The input stream to a lexical analyzer is typically raw bytes from a source code file. From that comes things like keyword tokens, string tokens, integer tokens, floating point tokens, operator tokens, and so on. The mechanism that implements a lexical, anal lexical analyzer is called a finite state machine. That is a conceptual machine that only can be in one state at a time. Its current state is changed by the rules of the machine versus the input stream. As it transitions from one state to another, it eventually settles on a state that outputs a token, indicating that a token was found. Let's take searching for the keyword break, for instance. Assume that uh, the input stream is BJBREAK. Once a B flows by the stream, we might transition from our initial state to one where the R state is adjacent. We find that a J flows by the stream and we go back to the initial state. Once again, we find that a B flows by and we transition to the B state. Then an R flows by, we transition to the R state and so on until we reach the K state, at which point we output a token. Typically, we don't build these machines directly. Rather, they're built by a generator, which takes an input description of each token. Uh, one of the more popular lexical analyzer generators is called Lex. Let's review. Our source flows through a lexical analyzer, which matches its input stream with token descriptions using a finite state machine generator, then outputs tokens to a parser, which then uses shift-reduced parsing to build parse trees until a significant match occurs in the global parse tree. It performs actions to stitch together a syntax tree at each of these match points and continues until the entire global parse tree is matched. The theoretical machine that implements a parser is a pushdown finite automata, which is just a finite state machine with a stack attached to it to handle the inherent stacking procedure of building trees. Like a lexical analysis, we typically don't build these machines directly, rather they're generated. In the case of parsing, one of the more common generators is called Yak. Yak takes the, gra the language grammar and automatically generates a parser for us, which is damn convenient. So we have a syntax tree. What next? Well, semantic analysis. We've already validated input stream against context-free grammar. Now we validate it against a context-aware grammar called an attributed grammar. What we're going to be doing in semantic analysis is validating that the symbols are declared before they are used. At the same time, we're going to generate a symbol table, and then we'll perform type checking. There are any number of semantic checks you can do based on the nature of your language, but we're just going to focus on these two as they're applicable to most languages and actually are two major classes. In the process of validating semantics of a syntax tree, two things are generated, an attributed syntax tree and a symbol table. These two things are used in the next step of a compiler code generation. There are two primary types of attributed grammar, L-attributed grammar and S-attributed grammar. L-attributed grammar typically carries information from parent to child, whereas S-attributed grammar carries information from child to parent. These two directions produce, on a syntax tree, what are called inherited and synthesized attributes. L-attributed grammar being associated with inherited attributes, and S-attributed grammar being associated with synthesized attributes. The production of synthesized attributes 
is what type checking will do. And the production of inherited attributes is what checking to see if a symbol is declared before it's used, we'll call this scope checking, will do. An attribute of grammar is just a grammar with attributes associated with it. Typically this is something like the name, value, rules for generating these things. Alright, blah 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 blah. Whatever, attributed grammars are a convenient way to tell us what to do at each step. So let's do scope checking. First we use a data structure called a symbol table. A symbol table is a map of symbol entries within a hierarchical scope or the basic scope model of your language, which is typically hierarchical. We start scope checking. Uh, we're going down, top down in the syntax tree, so naturally we're going to start the global scope. When a symbol is declared, we save it in a symbol table uh, within the current scope. It's already uh, declared within the current scope, we throw an error. If we encounter a function or something else that has a nested scope, we make this our current scope. Now whenever we encounter a symbol uh, being used, we walk up the symbol table scope hierarchy in search of its declaration. This will tell us if it's been declared. If it hasn't, we'll throw an error. It'll also tell us what scope the symbol table is used in. A part of the table entry is being used at each use of a symbol would make a fine, fine contribution to the attributed syntax tree. See what I'm getting at here? See what I'm saying? Other information might trickle down the syntax tree, like function return type, for instance, and everything else in your L attributed grammar. That's enough of that. Now let's talk synthesized attributes. Say we have a context-free grammar, uh, E produces E times E, or E plus E, or ID. Let's uh, take the following source code, 3 times 2 plus 5. Imagine the tree that this produces. E on the top branching to E plus E, on the left branching to E times E, and so on. Now let's take the S attribute of grammar, E value equals E1 value times E2 value, whereas E produces E times E. We do the same thing for E plus E, but we add values together. And finally, we have E value equals ID value, where E produces ID. First thing we do is check our frontier for syntax tree, uh, which is ID times ID plus ID. We expand on that using um, E value equals ID value, and we find that uh, e value 3 times E value 2 plus E value 5. We expand E value equals E1 value times E2 value and find that E value equals 6 plus E value equals 5. Finally, we expand on E value equals E1 value plus E2 value and we find that at the very top, E value equals 11. We usually throw a type check error if the left node type of a parent operator does not match the right type. That isn't always the case, of course. Depending on your language, there might be room to add another node in the tree for type conversion between parent and child, for instance. The funny thing about synthesized attributes is we can actually compute them at the same time as uh, we do parsing, since we're building the syntax tree bottom up. Just uh, thought I'd throw that in there. There's a logical separation between parsing and semantic analysis, and that's important to conceptualize, but in practice, the lines may be blurred just a little bit. The goal of everything we talked about so far is to verify that source code matches our language description. Almost as a byproduct of this verification, we generate attribute syntax tree and symbol table. Everything we've done so far is what's called front end of a compiler. In the next episode, we're going to start talking about the back end of a compiler. So that's it. Thanks for listening to this episode, and uh, I look forward to 
uh, talking with you a bit later about the back end of a compiler. Take care. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binref.com. All binref projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.